Hello, this is Jacques Hebert, and you're listening to Delta Dispatches. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. Happy Thursday, Simone. Hey, Jacques. How are things going? Good. What did you do today? Well, I was in Baton Rouge, not for reasons that most people were in Baton Rouge today, which is the master plan was being heard by a Senate committee. Is that correct? Yeah, it's the first step in a, in a really long process. We talked about this a little last week and hope to talk about it more today. So the master plan in its revised form has to go through the actual approval from the CPRA board. Uh, and then from the board, it moves through the legislative process. So it goes through two committees on each side. It has a house uh, a house vote, floor vote, and then it actually has to get all the way through the process. So today was the first step, Senate transportation, and it passed out favorably. Next week, it'll be in Senate Natural Resources, same day on Thursday. Uh, next week's also a big week for us. It's Coastal Day. Yeah, that's right. And it's Coastal Day at the legislature. So we're going to have a lot of advocates for the coast um, there, hoping to educate people about the master plan and why it's so important. We have one of those people on later today who's going to be our guest, Scott Kirkpatrick, mm-hmm. who is a head and president of the Coast Builders Coalition. We're going to be talking about the economic reasons for supporting the master plan and why so many businesses support the master plan. Yeah, sure. So there's always, we've had some, uh, we had Steve Cochran on initially on our first show talk about the economics and, and why it works. And so God is an example of representing some of those companies and that want to do and has done coastal work here. And they have the expertise in coastal Louisiana to not just do it here, but hopefully export that knowledge other places. Right. It's it's so much about protecting what we have in terms of our infrastructure, our communities, our businesses. But it's also a huge opportunity, right, to create jobs to build a workforce that, you know, is going to be doing these coastal restoration protection projects over the long term. And so for the state of Louisiana, this is both a huge opportunity from a defensive standpoint and, I guess, offensive. Maybe I'm thinking about the draft. Maybe so, Jacques. You didn't you didn't peg me as a big draft watcher, but tonight is the draft. So, Jacques, why don't we talk about, we had uh, Mandy on last week and we were talking about the concert for the coast. So, why don't you talk about that a little bit and I'll dog down our first guest. Sure. Yeah. So, uh, this last Saturday at the New Orleans Jazz and Heritage Museum, uh, we had a concert for the coast. It was a great evening. Um, we had wonderful talent, including Voices of a Nation, Lost Bayou Ramblers, and the super group Dragon Smoke. And we were there celebrating the coast, but also getting people fired up for the master plan and moving forward. We had speakers from CPRA and, and New Orleans. And so overall, it was a great night. And we we're very much engaged in moving forward on this master plan process. We were talking about, you know, businesses supporting the master plan and our organizations are actually running ads across coastal newspapers starting on Tuesday, showcasing how many businesses and different organizations are supportive of the master plan. So I think over 109 uh, businesses are going to be included in those ads that are running in the Advocate, Times-Picayune, and across coastal newspapers. And so it was a great show of support. Check out your local paper for for that and see all the people that are really supportive of this effort. As we said, over 88% of voters statewide support the master plan. Jacques, you also attended a taping this week. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, it's uh, no no rest for the weary, as you know, Simone. Um, you're a busy so, guy. <laughs> yeah, I know you're busy too. So uh, Louisiana Public Broadcasting, their Public Square program, did a whole special on the Coastal Master Plan, and they had a panel of experts, uh, including Denise Reed with the Water Institute, who we had on prior, and Brent Haas, who was one of our guests, as well as Mark Schlefstein with Times-Picayune, and then some of us in the audience. And we were talking about the Master Plan and talking about sediment diversions, and I was able to ask a question, which was basically... You know, what happens to all those 
projects such as marsh creation, the $18 billion worth of marsh creation, the levee investments and that sort of thing without sediment diversions. And I think Bren gave a really strong answer. Folks who are looking to watch it, you can go online on LPB's website. I think they're also re-airing it on um, local LPB, WLAE stations uh, this Sunday. Yeah, it, it seemed to be a very good program. I DVR'd it like any good American does these days. So so I'm looking forward to, to catching it. One guy that knows a little bit about the state's coastal program is Representative Jerome Zarang. Z, are you on the line? I sure am, Simone. How y'all doing today? <laughs> hey, Z, we know you are a busy guy and you have been um, in Baton Rouge nonstop lately. We we are very grateful for you to join us today. Jerome Zarang is a representative from South Central Louisiana. He can tell you a little bit about his district in a little bit, but I've known Z for a long time. He was on my executive committee when he was the executive director of the Terrebonne Levy and Conservation District. Between then and now, he was also executive director of the CPRA and chairman of the CPRA. So, Z, you have a long history in coastal. So, before we jump into the current Coastal Happenings, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, great, Simone. Thank you all for letting me be on the podcast today. So, yeah, I do have a somewhat of a storied long background. Uh, we just need the clean stuff, just the clean version <laughs> of your history. See, please. Well, that's, the bo- that's the boring stuff. But <laughs> originally, after grad school, uh, worked for LSU Sea Grant, was a Sea Grant extension agent for... Or as Wendell years. would call you, a secret agent, right? That's Secret, yes. Secret agent man. And then I worked for the Nature Conservancy for a few years. Then I worked for the Terrible Living Conservation District for 10. And while there, uh, that's when Garrett was heading up CPRA and asked if I'd go up there and work with him. Did that and eventually was the deputy director, then director of CPRA. And then when he left to run, when successfully ran for Congress, I took a spot as the chairman. So I have, for the past few years, been somewhat engaged in this effort. But where are we from? And you mentioned it. We're from South Central Louisiana. I represent Terrebonne and Lafourche Parish, which unfortunately is experiencing the greatest in terms of land loss rate and some of the most vulnerable, but unfortunately, probably some of the most problematic to fix. I mean, we're looking at, and thankfully, we're going to have opportunities like diversions and other things that are adjacent to the river and, and uh, Chapel Eye, which opportunities within that basin, and just looking at all the benefits of Wax Lake Outlet and how the potential, how much potential the river has. But where we're situated, Terrebonne and Lafouche, it's going to be problematic and difficult to fix, no less important. And we're going to work to do it across the coast. See, with your background, with your educational background, and, and then with your, your work experience, frankly, even before you came to the CPRA, I think you've always been a great spokesperson for why restoration and protection need to work together. You were at the Levy District during some pretty rough times during Hurricane Katrina, but Rita, what we talked about on a previous program, was one that really impacted us in our part of the world. So um, maybe talk a little bit about your view about how protection and restoration need to work together, and it can't be one without the other. Right, and and I think it was Rita... And also Ike. Right. You know, it's just... Was that two years later? It was Gustav and Ike about two years later, right? Well, yeah, Rita, Katrina Rita was in 2005 and Gustav and Ike was in 2008. And, but it's emblematic of the problem in so much as, you know, here we had Katrina. Obviously, it was devastating. It, It wasn't a direct hit in our area. And because of the trajectory of the storm, we had somewhat, we had an impact. But two weeks later, here's a storm that hit on the border of 
Louisiana, and Texas, and we had the worst uh, flooding to date in Terrebonne Parish. So, it, it, which indicates that you know the buffer that we traditionally relied upon, and the fact that now storm surge and even tidal surge are affecting and impacting the coast much quicker and to a greater degree deeper into the system. And it, you know it, that was the one that really demonstrated that listen, we have some problems, and it's obviously restoration is important. And that was part of the whole aspect about Morganza to the Gulf. We call it a leaky system, but it's because of the location and the vulnerability, but also the sensitivity of the resource and the places and people we're trying to protect. You have these five ridges and trying to connect these five ridges are difficult, but it's also essential to ensure that you're providing protection, but also accommodating and allowing as best you can within the system the sensitivity to the resource and the natural habitat. And so we have environmental structures. We have a law complex that's going to allow for the opportunity to utilize the Atchafalaya. That's our, in that central region, that's our best opportunity to allow for fresh water to get into the system. And so that lock will allow us to do that, which is an environmental structure, which, oh, by the way, provides significant hurricane benefit. And it's just an example of how we can integrate and incorporate both flood protection and restoration features within a system. Yeah, we, we had avid listener Chip Klein on the show a few weeks back, and, and he t- was talking about the uh, the complex, the Home and Navigational Canal Complex down in our part of the world, and it is a perfect example of restoration and protection working together, that the protection is, you know, when you need it, storm surge protection, but then the lock is really what keeps the fresh water to the north and the salt water to the south. We'll see. We have to take a little break. Please stay on with us. We want to talk about a session. We want to talk about what you're up to in Baton Rouge. I know you have a couple of bills in the coastal bills in the hopper. So stick with us just for a little bit and we'll get back with you and we'll talk about uh, call in Baton Rouge. At Audubon, we believe that where birds thrive, people prosper. Nowhere is that more evident than in Louisiana. Integrating science, education, and policy Audubon, Louisiana's mission is to conserve and restore natural ecosystems, focusing on birds, other wildlife, and their habitats for the benefit of humanity and the Earth's biological diversity. Visit la.audubon.org to learn more and support our mission. la.audubon.org. Restore or Retreat is a coastal nonprofit organization working in the heart of the Barataria and Terrebonne Basins, from the Mississippi River to the Atchafalaya. We work every day to restore Louisiana's coast community and culture with our mission of implementing long-term and large-scale projects for our irreplaceable region. We'll hope you join us in supporting the solution. Check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and online at www.restoreorretreat.org. Welcome back. This is Simone Malaz from Restore Retreat. You're listening to Delta Dispatches. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. We have one of the uh, best coastal representatives right now on the line, Jerome Z. Zarang. Z, we, everybody calls you Z, right? I mean, that was your state address for a long time, right? So um, it's okay to call you Z, right? You don't need me to call you honorable or representative or anything like that. Although you are both of those things. 
Well, no, I think someone considered dishonorable. But <laughs> that as it may. no, call me Z. I've been called much worse. <laughs> All right, Z, uh, we do this. Uh, I'm, I'm the fun one on the program, not that Jacques isn't, but I like to ask questions of our guests so that we get to know them a little bit better. So your icebreaker question will be, Z, if you had a yacht or a big boat, what would the name of that boat be? Oh, name <laughs> of the boat, the yacht. <laughs> like, you know, I don't know, people call their boats goofy things. Yeah, they do. Uh, so so I will tell you mine. There was a Tim McGraw song, and he talks about sweet amnesia because he wants to forget about something. So if I had a big boat and I could just sail away and forget about everything, I might call it sweet amnesia. Yeah, I, I, I believe something simple. <laughs> You're the simple first one that I've stumped. Maybe I should ask you your favorite cocktail. That's the easy one. <laughs> oh, yeah, I could definitely whip out that. But no, I'd probably just <laughs> high or something. I don't know. I just wish I wouldn't, believe me, I, I wouldn't worry about the name. I'd, 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 I'd much prefer being on one. <laughs> well, well so I was talking about avid listener Chip Klein earlier, but uh, I asked him his favorite karaoke song, and he revealed to us that he likes to sing Kenny Rogers. So you learn a lot about people when you ask them those questions. I, I do want to switch over to a more serious um, note. Uh, you have a couple of bills in the legislature right now, some that are very important to the coastal program. I want to talk about some of those right now. One in particular, uh, you, have, uh, you are carrying the annual plan for the CPRA on the House side. And, and tell us a little bit about the annual plan and what your resolution does. Well, the annual plan is what the Coastal Protection and Restoration Authority puts together in terms of the projects that will be pursued within this annual budget. And it's uh, reflective of, of the projects that the uh, authority hopes to accomplish, which we hope that they will. And the way to do that is with the funding. It's going to be roughly a $600 million-plus budget to ensure the projects that getting them shovel-ready and implementing them, you know, both the planning, the monitoring, and all the other aspects, the important uh, components of the plan that CPRA carry out are all for this next fiscal year are incorporated in the annual plan. Good. So it's a, it's important to the to the day to day happenings of, of the CPRA, correct? Exactly. Good. What they're going to use and what's going to be appropriated to the agency for the purposes of carrying out the program for this fiscal year. Yeah, my, my partner in crime, Jacques Aber, likes to talk about the annual plan. It's it's not the sexiest of documents, but it is really what gets the work done. It, it has a three year outlook on on those projects, and it's really the implementation of the master plan, right? The money that that goes to that. It also does a really good job of recapping the past year's coastal program and its successes and then looks forward um, to some of the the major projects that are coming online. So Z, what are some, uh, so that's HR1, if you want to follow that. If you've never been to the legislative website, it's great. It's legis, L-E-G-I-S dot L-A dot gov. And you can search for bills by author, like go all the way down to the bottom of the list and find Jerome's ring. You can look by uh, numbers. You can search by keywords. But uh, what are some of the other bills that you have in the, is it a hopper? I mean, that's really where that term came from, right? Do y'all have a hopper? How does that work over there? <laughs> well, it's an electronic hopper. Now, it's going to be a hopper where they pile them all up. Right. The couple of the bills that we're working on, in addition to, well, there's the master plan also. That's going to be a critical one. That one's going to originate in the Senate and come over to the House. And that's obviously for the next five years, the, the plan on both identifying the successes 
and also how the, the agency is going to move forward to expand on and build the projects over the life of the plan. It's, we talk about a 50-year plan, but it's tiered, and it's implementing those tiers to get to the point where we're actually building more land, with, but still hopefully the goal that we're building more land than what we're losing. Though so the master plan is another critical piece of legislation that's coming through. A couple of bills that I'm working on uh, deal with some for the levy districts and trying to help some of the financial challenges that the flood protection authorities, both east and west, and also the newly created authorities have in trying to get sufficient funding to operate and maintain the system. So I'm doing it one of two ways. One is going to be a constitutional amendment, and then the other is specific just to the flood protection authorities, east and west. It's primarily to ensure the funding to operate and maintain the, the systems. I have a servitude bill that's going to Hopefully, it's going to provide opportunities to expedite some of the coastal restoration projects. Right now, the Corps of Engineers refers to the fact that there is, if there is no prevailing state authority or statute, that they refer back to federal policy. And federal policy requires, in some of these projects, it requires fee title or perpetual servitudes. And as you know, you know, 85% or definitely over 80% of the coast is in private hands. And this would allow us to work both with the landowners and advance these projects, similar to what happens with Quipra, that a servitude will last only as long as the life of the project, typically 20 to 30 years, or if and unless 75% of the people within the project area agree to provide that perpetual or fee title sale. So it's going to provide the landowners the opportunity at least participate in advanced projects, also allow them to retain mineral rights, but also we can get the benefit of restoring and protecting the resource. Uh, there was some concern about, you know, again, there's the whole issue about public money on private lands, but again, considering the fact that over 80% of the coast is in private lands, private hands, if we did not engage in uh, restoring the area within private property, we wouldn't be able to implement the master plan. So this will allow uh, the, the CPRA, levy districts, and others who are doing public state projects to acquire servitudes that are the life of the project, but also continue to, to advance these projects, which will make it easier and cheaper. Because the state had to essentially either abandon projects or the cost uh, is increased substantially if they can get it at all uh, because of the fact that if you try to get title. So, uh, Z, back to your bill, the uh, other bill that has the constitutional amendment, that when get, that gets passed out, then it goes to the voters. That's what you're saying, right? It gets passed out, it gets signed, and then it goes to the vote of the people, correct? Right, exactly. And so what it, what that does is it, it just makes the most recent levy authorities, uh, Chenier Plain Levy District, New Iberia, uh, the St. Tammany Levy District, St. Mary, consistent with the other levy districts after 2006, they consolidated uh, the levy districts in and around New Orleans, most of them, but it was primarily consolidated in name only. There are some functional issues that the other bill would address, but this one gives the, all the authorities the ability to levy up to five mills for the purposes of operating and maintaining systems. Now, they're saying it's without a vote of the people. Well, actually, there will be a vote because it's a constitutional amendment, so the public will have an opportunity to weigh in. Well, Z, we have run out of time. We would love, love to have you back before the end of session or as soon as that session's over for a legislative recap. Thank you, Z, for being on. We appreciate your service in Baton Rouge, and we look forward to having you on soon. 
Thank you. Love to be back anytime. Y'all have a great day. Thanks, E. National Wildlife Federation gives voices to the wildlife conservation values that are part of our country's heritage. We are charting a new course for wildlife that our children and grandchildren will thank us for. Visit our website, nwf.org Louisiana, to find out more about our work to restore and protect coastal Louisiana for generations to come. National Wildlife Federation, uniting all Americans to ensure wildlife thrive in a rapidly changing world. nwf.org Louisiana. Hello, this is Jacques Hebert, and you're listening to Delta Dispatches. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. We're continuing our conversation about the 2017 Coastal Master Plan and the legislative session and the economic importance of restoration. We're joined now by Scott Kirkpatrick. Scott serves as the president of Coast Builders Coalition, located in Baton Rouge. He is a partner of the Rodell Parsons Law Firm, where he represents a variety of clients on government relations matters. He was also previously worked in Washington, D.C. for former Senator John Bro and former Congressman Richard Baker, um, and he served as the Natural Resources, Transportation, and Environmental Policy ad- Advisor to Louisiana Governor Kathleen Blanco. Welcome to the show, Scott. How are you? Great. I'm doing just fine. Thanks for having me. Great, and uh, thank you for being here. I understand it's your wife's birthday, so hopefully we're not getting you in too much trouble by having you on. No, no. She uh, Hopefully, I think she's having a good birthday so far. Oh, good. Well, I promise to not take too much of your time so you can go sell So, Scott, tell us a little bit about Coast Builders Coalition. When was it started, and and what is the mission of the the group? So, it was started uh, after Katrina, where you really saw a major uh, new investment in both initially in emergency response to Katrina and then the protection system that went uh, around the New Orleans area system, and then now the, the restoration effort that, that partly was is in response to the Deepwater Horizon spill. And so as that industry grew, as more consultants and contractors and engineers were involved in this, uh, we, we put a group together to kind of speak for that industry and uh, make sure Louisiana was a great place for them to do business and that they could turn out a great product for our coast. Right. And, uh, you know, we've talked a little bit about the economic reasons for storing the coast, and we're going to talk about that some more with you now. Um, I know you're hard at work, you know, planning a, a big day on Tuesday um, at the state capitol for Coastal Day. So can you tell us a little bit about Coastal Day and what's going to go on next Tuesday? Absolutely. This is something started, you know, seven, eight years ago, a chance for coastal advocates to get over to the capitol and express our support to, to legislators from across the state. And, uh I think it's it's an incredibly important time because often those elected officials closest to the coast hear the most about this issue, which certainly it's important they do that. As we know, this is a statewide and, and even a national issue, and so it's important to educate legislators throughout the state about what's happening on the coast, the challenges it's facing, and the opportunities they have to contribute and, and uh, the opportunities their constituents have to contribute to protecting and restoring the coast. Absolutely. And, you know, we mentioned it earlier in the program that over 100 businesses and civic organizations and chambers of commerce recently signed on to a series of ads in support of the master plan, including Coast Builders Coalition and, and of course, our organization, Restore the Mississippi River Delta. So why, Scott, I mean, even some of these businesses aren't located, you know, necessarily right on the coast, but they, you know, maybe located in Lafayette or New Orleans or even Baton Rouge. So why are so many businesses in support of this master plan? 
Well, I think, you know, certainly there's just the overall civic duty, uh, if, if you will, to kind of conserve and protect our environment and, and the people here. Uh, I also think you see some more direct business interest, and that's uh, one to those businesses who directly work in this area and the thousands of jobs there are in managing the water uh, in, in, our, in and around our cities and our coast. And then you also have the kind of related issue where businesses need the protection and restoration just to operate. You know, you may not actually have employees directly involved in restoring and protecting the coast, but the implications of a, uh, an area flooding are going to have business implications on you as well. So I think there, there are a number of layers a number of reasons why businesses are interested in getting involved in this issue. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, we've talked in the past about some of the progress that's been made uh, since, you know, certainly the 2007 master plan, 2012 master plan, um, a lot of barrier island restoration, as well as, you know, marsh creation, and then, of course, um, structural protection, such as levees and flood walls and that sort of thing. So are we, you know, seeing benefits from that work, you know, on the ground here? And, and what are some of those kind of direct benefits that we've seen already? Well, I certainly think, uh, certainly since, since Katrina, you've seen the protection levels, particularly around New Orleans, but also in other areas, rise, and that's both in because of hard structures that have been improved, but also some of the restoration work that's been done to knock down those storms. That That's probably the, the, the biggest thing, uh, you know, we've seen. Uh, I do think that the plans are getting, um, these master plans are getting more sophisticated. People are internalizing them more. They're understanding more the business environment, not only currently, but in the future. I mean, that getting people to think and businesses to think 10, 20, 30 years into the future, predicting what's going to happen, that's really important. It's important not only for business planning, but it's important to think for people to feel like there's a plan that thinks that far ahead and helps them, uh, the state and, and them make strategic investments in, in where they want to be, where they need to be, and what they want to protect. Absolutely. And, you know, um, as Simone mentioned, there was an LPB um, program this past Tuesday that aired last night. Um, And, you know, Dr. Denise Reed with the Water Institute of the Gulf made, you know, several times the point that Louisiana is really at the cutting edge in terms of dealing with this crisis, these challenges, um, you know, finding innovative solutions to address water management, to address, you know, coastal flooding. Um, And so would you say, I mean, I guess in terms of maybe grading the business community or grading kind of the work that's being done. Are we ahead of the curve on this issue? Everything I have seen suggests we are. Um, you know, one one example is uh, after some of the uh, uh, legislation was passed after the Deepwater Horizon oil spills related to the Restore Act, the Gulf Coast states were asked to put the make sure they had kind of a master plan for their coast to govern the the dollars that would go to the coast. Well, Louisiana was far and away ahead of those other Gulf Coast states because we've put so much time into it. Secondly, we're seeing the companies and and the people doing the work here in Louisiana, doing the studies and and, and et cetera, They, they are being looked at as international experts on this. And so you want to be able, you want to come to Louisiana, you want to learn and do a great job so you can take that work and export it. And that's a that's an exciting opportunity for Louisiana. It's a reason that you see uh, universities in the state uh, seeking to have centers of excellence uh, and to kind of cultivate uh, a public-private partnership that they can bring to other areas of the state, uh, the, the Water Campus and Water Institute, 
that's formed is a center of excellence that's seeking to kind of export this knowledge globally. So that's a we're very hopeful and, and excited about those opportunities. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've I've been at conferences here in New Orleans and elsewhere where you know our scientists, scientists in Louisiana and engineers in Louisiana, you know, are up front and center on the stage, and you have people attending from Europe and Asia, and they're looking to us really and the work that we've done, you know, as a model and and how one that they can perhaps implement in their own areas. So, Scott, I want to ask you um, before we go to break. What is, you know, if you were talking to a business owner who, you know, is in the coastal zone, you know, they may not know a whole lot about coastal restoration and protection or, you know, our land loss crisis, but, you know, they care about their bottom line. They care about um, protecting their investments and and building their investments over the long term. What advice would you give them or what's your elevator pitch for why they should care about coastal restoration? Well, we've continuously seen in studies that there is a high business cost anytime we are not resilient. And most business owners in the coastal zone can think about either the you know, Katrina situation or the flooding in Baton Rouge or the Rita situation. They, they actually have experiences uh, and, and that, that show them what resilience looks like. And so a big part of the coastal restoration protection is helping them be more resilient in the future. And so I think when you take them back to those times and the impacts they had, or at least the concerns they had when those events were going on, it makes this very real. And they want to make sure they don't have those fears and anxieties in the end of the future. All right. And, you know, um, we are going to talk a little bit more um, in the next segment about a report that our organizations worked on that looks at, you know, restoration costs over time, particularly for marsh creation and some of the findings that show that, you know, it's important to get work done now. And, and we've talked about funding for restoration and how we have, you know, a steady pipeline of funding, some funding, not all, you know, coming over the next 15 years in particular. So I'm looking forward to talking a little bit more about that. Simone says she's the fun one. So I'm going to try to take a stab at it. Uh, Scott, what is your favorite po' boy? I'm a shrimp po' boy guy. I got to be honest with you. Now, I, I, if you throw in a little oyster and shrimp, if I, you know, kind of on a crazy day, that's pretty good too. But I, I, I defer to shrimp po' boy. What do they, they call those peacemakers, right? When you when you have oyster <laughs> shrimp and oyster. That, yeah, that sounds right. That you're a peacemaker. <laughs> you know. A life-changing experience is when I went to Parkway uh, Tavern in New Orleans and had the Surf and Turf, which is a shrimp po' boy with a little bit of roast beef gravy and, I guess, roast beef debris on it. It's life-changing. You would not want to watch me eat that. that sounds good. <laughs> yeah, not not good for, uh, you know, uh, company or, you know, eating uh, if you care about messes. But, no, absolutely delicious. All right, Scott. Well, um, like I said, we're going to talk to you a little bit more after the break about the changing restoration costs. For those uh, listening, this is Delta Dispatches, and we'll be right back. Hello, this is Jacques Hebert, and you're listening to Delta Dispatches. We're back with Scott Kirkpatrick, president of the Coast Builders Coalition. So, Scott, we were talking a little bit about uh, the economic importance of coastal restoration prior to the break. And, you know, I know our organizations uh, last year, I think November, released a report called Changing Restoration Costs that looked at the costs of restoration over time, particularly for marsh creation, which you know, is the largest restoration category in the master plan at $18 billion. So can you tell us a little bit, you know, what were some of the main findings of that analysis? Yeah, this was a exciting thing, uh, I think, report, uh, not not because it, it, it was so unusual in its findings. You know, it, 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 it told us, I think, what a lot of us uh, 
already knew or believed, and that is that, look, as this the coast is deteriorating, the quicker you can come and stabilize it, the 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 cheaper it is, and and longer you get to enjoy the the impacts of that stabilization. Uh, but the Water Institute, and with some of their kind of world-renowned um, science and, and analysis, was able to really bring that home and put some figures on that. And show you, hey, if you do the, if you wait 20 years, let's say for this a particular marsh creation project, those costs double. Uh, you know, and if you can do those, find a way to do that 10 years earlier, it was, it was showing us the benefits of doing that. And so it's so really some great information that can be used by government officials and others as they look at managing the different funding streams we have uh, for the coast. Absolutely. And I think, I mean, the report looked at five different spots across the coast, you know, that had different variables going into them. Of course, subsidence varies depending on where you are on the coast. But in general, it found that, um, you know, the longer you wait, you know, the more areas turn to open water, the deeper they get, the more expensive it is to fill as you need to fill to higher levels. So kind of the main point, right, is to get restoration done sooner wherever possible, right? I think so. I think so. And, and in, some, in some instances, maybe you tell somebody that and they'd say, well, um, okay, I hear you, but I just don't have the money. But, but we are in a unique situation. We do have some of these long-term funding streams from the Gulf of Mexico Energy Security Act and from the Natural Resource Damage Assessment Funds, 15, 20-plus year funding streams. And so that, that makes this analysis even more appropriate, we think, because we, we need it. I think it forces us to look at, you know, can we, should we bond uh, these revenues and, and get a kind of a better return on our investment in the coast. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about that. So I know another part of the analysis was that, you know, there's a huge cost savings opportunity by bonding some of these projects. We know, you know, that um, funding is coming down through the BP settlement and, and other sources. Um, so what what would that look like in terms of actually bonding for some of these restoration projects? Well, you know, I think it's, um, uh, in general, you'd be looking to maybe take a 10, 15, 20-year funding stream, bond it through either a, a very kind of a, at a Wall Street level, even at a smaller private banking level, and get that project done really today or the next few years. And, and this report that we did will be able to show you, you know, hey, hey, the cost uh, of doing it now and and the cost of doing it later and show you that that just by doing that even though you pay some cost for financing the project the overall cost would be less than having to wait and do that project let's say 20 years from now which is maybe when you'd have the money uh under the kind of traditional uh pay-as-you-go structure Right. And so we've talked about this in the on the past we've done polling recently that shows overwhelming 90 three plus percentage um, of people say, you know, protect the money that you have now for restoration, put it to, you know, the projects where it needs to go um, and try to find additional uh, funding over the long term. So, you know, I guess some people might see this and say, well, there's a lot of money going to the coast. But that's that's when you look at the plans, when you look at the projects and the severity of the, the crisis, that's not necessarily the case, right? That's true. That's true. Uh, again, the the it's a blessing in, that we do have some long-term funding streams, uh, and and we do. But but at the same time, to your point, they they're not sufficient 
to take care of our problems. And in fact, we they're they're the length of time that they go out is is really too long uh, for for our immediate needs. We have an emergency on the coast, and and so um, uh, we need to immediately take care of it. So um, it's it's uh, it, it can be challenging at times, and people say, "Hey, you're going to have money money for a good while," and and you got to make them understand. Uh, say, oh, "We do, but we don't have enough. We don't have nearly enough." Uh, for these these plans that, that are encompassed by the, by the state's master plan. Right. So main takeaway there is, you know, protect the funding you have, get restoration done as quickly as you can, um, and then also, you know, look for opportunities for cost savings such as bonding. And for folks that want to um, learn more or read that analysis, you can go on our website, MississippiRiverDelta.org slash changing restoration costs. Um, and so, Scott, a few minutes left. I just want to ask you, so if you're a business owner or other person looking to get involved in the fight to restore and protect the coast, um, what advice would you give them? Well, I tell you, I think there's some tremendous organizations involved, uh, uh, including y'all's, in this effort. And, and so I think being a part of kind of that community, that advocacy community is very important. You know, our group is certainly, we're focused, you know, to be part of Coast Builders, you're somebody who's actually doing the work, and so that's a great, uh, you can learn more about our group at coastbuilderscoalition.org. But I think a number of great nonprofits uh, are out there who are advocates and, and supporting y'all in those efforts. Uh, and then also, uh, you know, we're talking about being down at the legislature and, um, and and our policymakers down there. It's important to reach out to them. Let them know uh, that you care about this issue, that it impacts you and your business. Uh, and you can't tell them enough uh, that they need to hear it consistently. Uh, and so I would encourage them to reach out to their elected officials. Absolutely, Scott, and thank you so much for those those words. I mean, you and your organization have been wonderful partners for us, and you know we really appreciate all the support that you've given to us. And um, you know, as a reminder, we have an action alert on the 2017 master plan on our website. Uh, people can go on MississippiRiverDelta.org/slash/take-action, um, and you can contact your legislators directly and ask them to support the coastal master plan. Um, so, Scott, I, I don't want to take too much of your time, and I want to save your voice because I know you have to sing Happy Birthday later. Um, but thank you again so much for being on. Yes, yeah, Scott, this is Simone. I've been lurking in the background. Thank you very much for being on today. We look forward to being part of Coastal Day with you. We are grateful for your leadership. Every year you try to herd cats on that issue, and it, it is really important. It's a day that we can call, all come together and talk about some of that important work that's being done along the coast. So from me to you and on behalf of Jacques, we're grateful that you came on with us today. Yeah, well, thank y'all so much. Look forward to seeing y'all on Tuesday, Monday and Tuesday. Great. Thank you, Scott. See you Tuesday. Yep. All right. So, Giacomo, what you got up this week? Well, you and I are headed on a field trip tomorrow. Is that correct? Yes, it's Fouchon Friday. Hashtag <laughs> Fouchon Friday. Um, we are going down with some of our very good friends and supporters, uh, Joni Tuck and Chet Chasson with the Greater Lafourche Port Commission. We have some media coming in. This is something that you and I do pretty often. Yeah, we, uh, media, you know, we have a journalist coming in from California who wants to learn more about Louisiana's land loss crisis and uh, some of the restoration solutions. And so there's really no better uh, example than what's going on at um, with Port Fouchon and the Caminata Headland. It's the largest restoration project completed to date. And obviously it um, supports and protects a hugely important part of infrastructure and commerce that is Port Fouchon. Yep, birds, beach, and... 
um, I wish I knew another B for the, <laughs> for the port, but yeah, uh, it is an amazing example. We do uh, many, many trips like this because it is an amazing example of where um, the environment meets industry there. So yeah. what else on deck? Well, and uh, yeah, I mean, that's a great point too. It's also critical bird habitat. So we're going to have Dr. Eric Johnson, who was on the show. Yeah, He's right. um, director of bird conservation for Audubon, Louisiana. Apparently there's a mega colony of least terns that are now nesting on uh, Caminata Headland at El- Elmer's Island. So we're going to see them, see the work that um, Audubon's doing to protect those birds. And then, yeah, you can always listen and get previous episodes at MississippiRiverDelta.org slash Delta Dispatches. Great. Great. And we will have us uh, some more great guests next week. Yeah, it's still, <laughs> I, I think it's TBD. It's TBD. <laughs> right. um, but we're going to have a great show for you um, next week. Thank you all for listening. To Delta Dispatches. To Delta Dispatches. Have a wonderful weekend. <laughs>